The following program contains subject matter that is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to IDD Get to Know Me, a mental health podcast where nothing is off the table. Wait, what does IDD mean? IDD stands for Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities. You will hear from us, people with IDD, and experts on topics that are important to us and our mental health. I'm your host, Victor. And I'm Daniel. On this week's episode, we're going to get to know Alan Martino, an instructor on community rehabilitation and disability studies in the Community Health Science Department at the University of Calgary, whose doctoral research examined the romantic and sexual lives of adults with intellectual disabilities in Ontario. Alan, it's great to have you. First of all, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for this invitation. It's such a pleasure to talk to you today. I'm doing great. I'm dealing with a very cold day here in Calgary, but I know you also have a snowy day in Toronto, so we're on the same boat. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've, you could say we've got a little bit of it uh, down here in Ontario. We had a snow day uh, the other day and all that good stuff. So let's start with uh, with an icebreaker on topic for today. Uh, Alan, what's your idea for an ideal first date? Ooh, that's a really good question. Uh, I think my ideal first date needs to include a good dessert. I have a huge sweet tooth, so no matter what, if someone takes me to a dessert place, that will win my heart immediately. <laughs> that to me is the trick. It's, it's true what they say, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> is it the same for you? Like, am I the only one? Well, for me, I, I definitely love. Uh, I definitely love uh, something nice to eat for sure. Uh, I also like to. I kind of like to go out and do something a little bit uh, active, um, like maybe go to an escape room or something like that. Like because I feel like that breaks some of the initial awkwardness because it gives you something to focus on doing. Uh, so, so that's uh, that's what I like to do. Uh, how about you, Vic? See me personally. I like long walks on the beach, and just being present with everything. You might play a little bit of beach, beach volleyball, maybe some soccer. Maybe you can catch a tan, and you can just get to know each other one on one. And you have the distraction of the ocean. You have the distraction of the beautiful stars in the sky or the sunset and you could just say, wow, we really did it. This was a great date. And then maybe we can go on for a little bike ride. Um, maybe we can go out and get something sweet to eat. That will be a perfect date. That sounds like a awesome. fantastic date. <laughs> Especially the first two minutes is the most awkward, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Exactly, like, exactly, like, um, what do you do for a living? You get into your own head, right? You get into your own head and you think about 
what's the perfect thing to say, mm-hmm. you know? So, Alan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, for sure. Uh, I'm originally from Brazil, uh, and I grew up in a family, a working class family, with an older sibling with a disability. So it was a really interesting childhood because, you know, we had wheelchairs around the house, all these kinds of equipment, and for me it was just so normal. It was just part of my everyday life. Uh, and I never understood when people said that my brother was different. He was just my brother. Uh, so, I, you know, I grew up in that way. Brazil is not very accessible. Uh, so I remember as a child, I had to go to restaurants a week before uh, to see if they're accessible, right? So that kind of background, those experiences growing up with my sibling really made me interested in exploring this area of disability studies. And now, I, after years of going to university, I've been able to uh, become a faculty member here at the University of Calgary, and I'm doing the work that I really love, right? And with, in partnership with people with disabilities. And uh, what's, your, what's your area of focus right now? Yeah, so I'm really interested in the intersections around disability uh, and sexuality, right? So I really want to understand what are some of the experiences that people have when they want to have the intimate lives that they want, right? Having romantic relationships, having sex, experiencing pleasure, all kinds of things about relationships. All right, and and how did you end up, uh, you know, choosing to go uh, with that specific path regarding uh, people with IDD and their relationships? Yeah, I, I think two experiences. I think one, uh, as I mentioned, having a sibling and noticing some of the challenges that he has had to form intimate relationships. Uh, and we had lots of conversations about it. I think a lot of families are really uncomfortable with the topic. So they kind of just treat it as a taboo topic and avoid it as much as possible, right? And that was the case with my family. Um, and the other piece was I worked in community organizations and I was a volunteer in this arts program for people with intellectual disabilities. And one day we we're doing this improvisation exercise and someone with an intellectual disability on stage says, love is natural, we all love. The audience in the room, they were okay with it. We continued the scene, but then the young man says, sex, that's what I want. And then that changed the energy in the room completely, right? The support workers in the room were very uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, people were giggling, people were uncomfortable. And then the support worker immediately like stopped the scene and changed the topic. And it was like, so isn't the weather beautiful today? And I thought that that was so bad. <laughs> like, this is not the way to treat someone who just shared that sex is important to them. Like, we shouldn't treat this as a bad topic that we should not be talking about. Instead, we should be allowing people to have those conversations like this is important for him this young man right so those experiences really mm-hmm. made me interested in how can we do better well i mean i think it's true right uh, like um a lot of people just because for some reason like that we have a, a some kind of disability a lot of people just have this picture in their minds of us being like celibate our whole lives or not wanting to be in a romantic relationship or things like that were very um um what's the word uh like they see us as childlike in that sense yes i have to ask you something yes please do are you 
Are you a good wingman? Were you a good wingman to your older brother? Yes or no? <laughs> I try to be, <laughs> if, if he wants me there. <laughs> Sometimes he doesn't want me there and I'll respect it, uh, but if he wants me there to support as much as possible, I'll be there. <laughs> what research projects are you currently working on right now? Yeah, so I'm working on quite a few projects. So one of them that I'm really excited about is the experiences of LGBT people with intellectual disabilities and how they navigate relationships, right? Uh, so there's a, lot of there's a lot of focus on sexuality and disability, but I'm trying to understand if gay, lesbian, and bisexual people have different experiences or particular challenges they're facing. So right now I'm interviewing people and it's been really exciting. The other project I'm really excited about is one about dating websites and dating apps. I want to see if people with intellectual disabilities are in, you know, participating in these apps, if they like those apps, how can we help you know, make these dating apps better for people with disabilities? Have you guys tried dating apps before? Never. I, uh, I, I enjoy no. using dating apps. Um, I've, I've, been, I've been using them recently, talking to some folks it's been helpful especially during the pandemic uh to you know to uh form connections with folks and uh and things like that it's definitely been a useful tool especially for me because i am very socially awkward when i first meet people so uh doing it like this and you know making sure that we have some interests and things in common first uh, i find is very helpful yeah, and I agree with you, especially now during the pandemic where we're socially distanced. I think it does help to feel more connected and still be able to kind of virtually meet people, right? Mm -hmm. Indeed, indeed. So, Alan, I just want to ask you something else real quick. Mm -hmm. Are there any specific findings from your work that you would like to share? Oh, yes, absolutely. And I think it connects with, with something that we mentioned briefly, uh, is the infantilization. I think, you know, treating people with disabilities as children, as innocent, as not wanting relationships, I saw that happening very often uh, through my participants. So one of the interesting findings was talking to people who were 30 years old or 40 years old, and they were told by family members or support workers that they should wait until their 50s and 60s even to have an intimate relationship, right? And treating people like children, like that they should just wait to have a relationship later in life, that they should focus on homework, even though they're in their 30s, you know? Like this is things that we usually tell children, not adults, right? Mm. And yeah, other... Do you find there's a certain stigma between um, straight, um, people with disabilities and that are on the LGBTQ people with disabilities, do you find that there's a stigma around that or is it still the same? Is it still the same conversation? Mm, that's a great question. So what I've been seeing in my interview so far and the work I've done in the past is that there is a disconnect so folks with disabilities who also are LGBT, uh, they tell me very often that when they go to dis you know, disability spaces, um, people are not thinking about gay, lesbian identities. So it's very focused on disability, but not on other identities. 
And when they go to queer spaces, people are not thinking about accessibility, they're not thinking about disability or disabled people, right? So I think there's a disconnect. Uh, we need to find ways to connect different communities more. That's the challenge, I think. That's very true. That's, that's, uh, that's very true. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess I'm just wondering, um, do you have any interesting specific stories from your work that, you, that you'd be able to share? Oh yeah, uh, I'd like to share one that shows agency, that shows advocacy, in my opinion, because sometimes we share the sad stories, but I want to share, I, I think, one that I love. Uh, so one time I talked to a couple, they both have intellectual disabilities, and they really like to, you know, sexually play with other couples. But the way they go about it is usually through computer and, and messaging, but they notice that if people know, uh, people would notice their spelling was not very good or their grammar was not very good, and they would see that they have a disability. So one way around it that they found to avoid that rejection is that they go to the neighbor and they show the messages to the neighbor and the neighbor checks the spelling, checks the grammar before they send to other couples. I mean, that to me is fantastic. It shows like creativity. It shows a way that they still have the experiences that they want to have. Another experience that I found really interesting is a trans person in the community with an intellectual disability. This person is even creating dating websites and dating posters for other people who are interested in having relationships but have no supports. Like, how cool is that, right? Like, this person is taking, like, the role of, like, selecting a picture for the person, writing their profile, and really trying to support others with disabilities. So, to me, these are amazing stories that show how people with disabilities themselves are trying to make a difference, right? Exactly, exactly. Can you tell us a bit about why it's so important to do research regarding people with IDD and their relationships? Yes, um, first of all, because it's a human right. It's a human right that everyone uh, is entitled to, including people with disabilities, and we need to acknowledge that and respect that. So for me, doing this work is extremely important. Um, also, because I think that people in the community, very often, they do want to have relationships. Uh, it might look differently, uh, but each person has their own understanding of what their romantic life should look like, but everyone should have what they want. I think that's the, the important piece here. Um, thirdly, you know, I just think that we need to be less uncomfortable with talking about sexuality. I cannot tell you, when I started doing this work in disability and sexuality, I talked to different organizations, service providers. Some of them actually hang up on me on the phone, <laughs> you know, as soon as I mentioned the word sexuality. Or some service providers told me that this topic is not relevant, or this, this, should, this should not be priority, or that this is not as important as education or employment. And one of the things that I always tell people is that all these parts of life are important, right? Like it's great for to have employment, it's important to go to school, but it's also important to have the intimate life that you want, right? It may include other people or not, but people should also have that opportunity. I think sexuality is also important and relevant and should not be a taboo topic. Definitely agreed, definitely agreed. And what, what are some of the barriers that you think that um, 
people with IDD uh, uniquely face when they're dating? Quite a few, unfortunately. Um, so when we look at the experiences on the ground, I still see a lot of barriers in place. Um, for example, uh, lack of sex education and sex information, right? Um, people who got excluded from sexuality education in school automatically just because they have a disability, uh, or even cases of people who got misinformation, right? Bad information about sexuality and their rights. I remember one young man who I talked to, and he was so shocked when I told him that he has the right to get married if he wants, because people around him have told him that he had to wait until his 40s to be allowed to get married, right? Wow. So some people in the community are still getting misinformation. Uh, the second piece, too, I think is the control. Right. Some for some people, um, they still cannot make decisions about their everyday lives. I spoke with people, for example, who were not allowed to bring people to their group homes, right, to spend the night or to have sex with or make out um, people who cannot see their boyfriends or girlfriends, you know, at days during the week. Uh, they only see each other during day programs. Um, and I also spoke with people, for example, who don't cannot even lock the doors of their bedrooms, right? So they don't have privacy to be able to meet someone or, you know, have that relationship. Um, even someone, I remember one particular gentleman who told me about a curfew, like he had to be back by the group home by 8 p.m., right? That was the time he had to be back and then the doors would be locked. And one day he actually got locked out because he was, went on a date. Now, if I ask you guys, right, most dates and most things related to sexuality happens late at night, <laughs> you know, like they don't happen during the day. Uh, so curfews are really a, a barrier here for a lot of people, right? So these are some of the issues that I see coming up very often. So let me tell you something. How do you resolve those issues between people with special needs? How do you educate not people with special needs, but the support workers? How do you mm -hmm. educate them? Do you put them in a room? Do you talk with talk with them with the person with the special needs? Who? How do you educate people about what relationship is and how how it's supposed to be? Yeah, great question. So I think there is conversations with different people that need to happen, right? So for example, with family members, I think family members, they have a lot of concerns about the safety, right? Of their loved ones with disabilities. And I think that's very reasonable. We need to make sure that everyone is safe and being able to have these relationships and experiences in a safe way. What I tell par uh, parents, though, is that unless we give people with disabilities good information about sexuality, they're not going to be able to protect themselves, right? Being able to be in safe situations and engage in sexuality in a safe way, is, it requires having real information. So not talking about sexuality is not a good choice. That's what I usually tell the parents, at least. With the support workers, I've been working with quite a few organizations now and trying to change their policies, trying to change the training that they do. For me, if you're gonna do this work, I expect you to have an open mind. 
right? First of all, like if you're going to provide this close care to someone, you need to have an open mind. You should not be judging people, you know, about their sexuality, their sexual desires. Even if you, you as a support worker, you don't have an answer to a question or you're not fully comfortable to address something, I think you should still be able to connect this person with someone who can answer that question, right? So you can always say, oh, Johnny, you know, I don't have an answer for your question, but let me connect you with Mary, who's good at this topic and she can help you with this, right? So at least we always need to give something. So for me, it's trying to make support workers less uncomfortable with this topic. I even work with them in terms of being able to ask the question about sexuality in a more comfortable way. Like, how come we're so comfortable asking people with disabilities about what they want for their jobs, what they want for their education? But then when it comes to intimate lives, we feel so embarrassed, right? Like, it's like whispering, what about your sex life? What do you want? So why can we not speak with the same kind of natural, you know, uh, voice about sex and sexuality? That's what I'm trying to challenge them. And have you, like, seen improvement over the last few years or has it has been the same for you? Like, the same topic over and over again and you're just running around in circles? Or has there been some great breakthroughs during your research? Oh, that's an awesome question. Uh, I think both. Uh, there are some areas that I do see some improvements and some that not so much. Uh, so one area that I definitely see some improvements, I'm starting to see more and more support workers who are trying to change how they work, uh, who are trying to get more information, trying to get more training. Uh, they are coming up to me and asking questions. Um, remember, for example, there is one support worker that was telling me about this young man who has a physical impairment and he really wanted to take a dick pic, right? Like this, <laughs> dick pics are so common now, now that we have online, right, dating. You know, uh, it's so um, this young man wanted to send the dick pic to someone uh, and he couldn't do it himself. So the staff members are in the house, mobilized and creating, created this whole machine almost that allow him to do it himself, right? They organized <laughs> it, put the phone, and then they left the room. He took the pictures he wanted, and then they came back and helped him get, you know, back together and dressed. So, I mean, to me, that is an example of people going above and beyond, right, to support people that they're working with. Um, I see or some organizations stepping up to the plate. I see family members trying to do better. Uh, so those are good things. The other, on the other side of it, right, um, I still see some things that are continuing. For example, uh, it's very hard for people with disabilities to become parents, right? To form their own families, to have kids. A lot of funding, for example, uh, are connected to individuals only. And if you marry someone, you might lose your benefits or you might, your benefits might decrease in some parts of Canada. So there's a lot of ways that we're still discouraging people with disabilities from getting married, right? And living together, like that's another challenge. I've spoke with, you know, couples that have been together for quite a few years and yet they cannot live together in the same house, right? Because group homes tend to be sometimes gender segregated and it's really hard to arrange that kind of living together. So there's still some challenges that remain. What is, uh, what's a good piece of advice that you would share for people with IDD who, who are looking to date and uh, have a romantic relationship, given some of the issues that you've mentioned? 
I would rely on, you know, the resources that are coming out from people with disabilities. So there are books, there are comic books that I've seen, uh, YouTube videos now of people sharing their own experiences of learning about their sexualities. So there is some things uh, there that I think are very helpful. There are also community organizations that are doing really good work uh, and creating material that is more accessible for people, material that is not judgmental, material that gives you the facts, right? That is not, you know, telling you, missing, giving you misinformation. And most importantly, I think connecting with self-advocates, it's extremely important. Self-advocates have so much knowledge about, you know, rights uh, and advocacy and people who are supporters and allies. I think connecting with self-advocates can be a very helpful way of doing this. On my end, I think one of the things that I really appreciate is the opportunity to talk to people in the community and ask them questions about their lives and put those stories out there for other people to read. It's really satisfying to me when I'm able to challenge someone's perspective, right? Someone who always thought, wow, people with disabilities don't have sex. No, no, people do have sex. They do have relationships. They have desires just like anyone else. So I do appreciate the opportunities to help put some of those stories out there, stories that are silenced sometimes. One more question to ask you. How do you deal with the heartbreak of people? Like people obviously break up, right? Mm-hmm. How Do you have to like counsel people about what heartbreak is and how to overcome heartbreak or not really? Absolutely. Um, I think when we were talking about intimate relationships, we're thinking about from the very beginning, right? Like, how do you meet someone? Where do you go? How do you talk to someone? Like, uh, until the end, like sometimes breakups are uh, the end of relationships, how unfortunately they conclude. So I think we should be supporting people navigate those moments. One thing that I don't, I don't think we should do, and I've seen this happen, is judge the person with a disability and say that they made a bad choice. So I spoke, with, for example, with one young man in particular who his relationship didn't work. And then instead of people trying to understand why it didn't work, they judged him so much, right? He, they basically, the support workers at the time said, he doesn't have the ability to have relationships. So he just shouldn't have relationships. But now, you know, if you think back, I can tell you, I had relationships in the past that didn't work out. And I'm like, oh my God, why did I date that person for two years of my life? But nobody comes and judge me, right? And say, Alan, you made a bad choice. You should not date anymore. And I think that should be the same treatment for people with disabilities. Romantic life and sexual life it's a lot of learning by doing it, right? Like we learn by, through mistakes, we learn by heart, through heartbreaks, and everyone should have the same right to learn through mistakes and to learn through heartbreaks. We shouldn't judge people's ability to have relationships based on that. I think that's very important. Last question to ask you, are there any dating apps or dating sites you recommend for people with IDD? Yeah, so actually one other project that I'm working on right now is looking at dating websites for people with disabilities. So I'm working with one of my students and we're looking at those websites. What do they look like? Are they accessible? Are they 
good. Uh, I don't have an answer yet, but I will in a few weeks. Um, but what I can tell you is, is that now there are so many dating websites and dating apps that specialize in disabled, like not for people with disabilities. And what I see is that they usually say that they're better than the regular kind of dating websites, because in those spaces, people with disabilities can meet other people with disabilities who understand, right, what life is like for them. So it makes it easier for people to meet others. So that's what I've learned so far. Okay, one more question. What is the best pickup line you have ever heard in your life? What is the best pickup line? Ooh, that's amazing. Okay. <laughs> wow. Let me, I need to think about it actually. Uh, I think I've had some interesting ones in the past. So usually when I was in dating apps, I would put my nickname as nerdy because I'm a very, I'm a nerd <laughs> and people would tell me like, uh, things about like nerdy comments. Uh, I think those are the best pickup lines. Like, Hey, nerdy kid, like when I hang out tonight or something like around that line. Ah, there, there's those people are speaking my language. All right. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much or... Alan, um, for the wonderful uh, research that you do and, and for taking the time to join us today. Uh, it's been wonderful speaking with you. Thank you. Don't so much forget. For this opportunity. We always have one more thing to do. You got to tell our viewers where you can, where people can find you on social media. This is social talk. It's a brand new thing. So plug in your social media right now. Go. <laughs> okay. You can find me on Twitter at Alan S. Martino, or you can go to my website, alanmartino.com. Those are the best places to find me. So if you need a personal wingman, or if you need like a dating coach, Alan D. Martino is your guy. Thank you very much. <laughs>